Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you here. Thanks for joining us here at Renew as we begin part two of our Mark series. We've been studying Mark for quite a while now. I've been walking through the book, and uh, it's, it's been a real joy, I pray, for you as much as it has been for our church and our leadership as we've been just looking at the pages of Scripture and getting the proper vision. Do you love the song, Be Thou My Vision? In, the, in a world where I, I believe the enemy is trying to create so many hopeless visions for people, the songwriter says, Jesus, you be my vision. Let me look into my future and see hope. You ever struggle with that? You ever look into the future and you don't see hope? That's one of the enemy's tools to spiral a life. And that's the beauty of scripture, that we can look into it and see the life of Jesus so clearly and learn from him. And that's what we've been trying to do in the Mark series. Make sure that we understand who Jesus is through the pages of scripture. And now we're transitioning in the book into the second part. And so it's interesting to look back where were we? Now we left off, if you remember a couple weeks ago, in our end of our first part, we left off with Jesus asking a question. Remember what it was? Here's a question. He, he, or, or, it's literally, you could read this a couple ways, but he says, do you still not understand? Are you still not seeing this? He says this to his disciples after he's fed 5,000, and they're still like, what? He feeds 4,000. What? If somebody feeds over 10,000 people, you'd think people would start to believe in him. He walks on water. He heals the cripple. He makes the mute person speak. He casts out demons. And yet you still, you still don't understand who I am? And it's like Mark is trying to kind of make it real clear in his gospel. This is who he is. He is Jesus. He is God. Yet people can't see. It's like they're blind to it. And he's right in front of them. Even his closest followers are having trouble with their vision. So we come today to launch into the second part of our series. And it's the account of the blind man, where Jesus enables him to see. All of these things pointing to him, yet they still struggle to see. You know, um, my wife has been known to drag me to a few Gaither vocal concerts, okay? And I actually enjoy them. I say drag, but I kind of enjoy them. In fact, we've even gone to like Gatlinburg, Tennessee to see these guys, okay? And, and all, every once in a while, they'll have um, a group come up and sing a song. And whenever I think about the Blind Man account, I think about that song. The song's called He Saw It All. And it's just, just reeks of irony. It, it talks about the crippled man um, running past him. Um, the mute man telling him something, okay? And the blind man, if you don't believe him, the song says, you should ask the blind man. He saw the whole thing. And the whole irony of the song is, wait a minute, these people can't do this. But that's the change Jesus can make. And I was thinking, I should play that song for you guys. But then I started thinking, you know what? Renew Bible's pretty talented church. Why don't I have a few guys come out and sing it? Would you be okay with that? And, and so, so guys, come on out, come on out. I've asked... 
I've asked a few of our, okay, Ben, come on out. Spencer and Greg are gonna come out and, and sing this. And you know what? I, I'm excited to hear them sing this. And Spencer, you take the lead on this. You've had an exciting week. We, our church has been praying for you and your wife, and we've heard some good news. Still a trial ahead, but we're praying. God's doing great things. And I want you to hear this song. Tell them about what the Lord can do, guys. Go ahead. I was working in town one afternoon Attending some business affairs I heard a commotion a couple streets over And wondered what's happening there A young man came running from in that direction And stopped just to catch his breath I asked him to please tell me what was the hurry He smiled up at me and he said I was trying to catch the crippled man Did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone What Jesus did today Telling myself and the deaf girl he's leaving to answer God's call. It's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me, ask the blind man, he saw it all. Ask the blind man, he saw it all. and burdens you carry are heavy and dragging you down and you've tried everything you could possibly think of but there's no relief to be found well that very same jesus that altered the future of the blind man the deaf and the lame is still reaching out in your hour of and you're never the same You'll be trying to catch the crippled man Did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone What Jesus did today And the mute man was telling myself And the deaf girl he's leaving to answer God's call it's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me, ask the blind man, he saw it all. Ask the blind man, he saw it all. He saw it all. They do a great job. It was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. I'm excited. We're going to continue now in the series 
of Mark here. And as we get into the middle of this book, we're going to see that transition today where Jesus is going to be maneuvering into a different area to do a lot of his ministry. And I'm excited about it because we're going to start with the, the, you know, one of these incredible accounts of Jesus healing a blind man. Have you ever, um, have you ever lost your sight even for a, a moment's time? I know we have some dear brothers and sisters that are part of our Renew family that do not have their vision. And uh, it's a very, a very serious disability, no doubt about it. And we see them thriving in what God has for them, but it does not take the challenge away. But for many of us, we can't necessarily associate what it would be like to not be able to see, even for a moment. I can actually tell you that I've experienced that for just a few short moments in my life because at the age, uh, around in my middle of 20s, I had laser eye surgery done. Now, what's interesting about laser eye surgery is there's a mental game to this. There's a mental game to this. I went in for my consultation, and I was getting all excited about this. And, and then they started talking about how the laser cuts into your eyeball. They peel it back, and then they refine it, and then they put it back. And during that time, you won't have your vision. And as you're getting up to leave, they say, hey, don't worry, like um, Tiger Woods had it done, as if to say his eyes are more important than yours, and he had it done, so you should be okay, right? And, and I remember going through this going, like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do this. And, and I still said this earlier because I was so sick of contacts, and I was so sick of dryness in my eyes. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm going for it. And if some of you are like, why are you wearing glasses then? Because it doesn't stop aging, all right? Leave me alone. But I went into surgery and I laid down. They said, okay, here's what's gonna happen. We're doing one eye at a time. And I said, good, that, that helps me mentally. Um, ignore the screaming in the other room. I'm like, okay, I can do that, I can do that. And, and, and they said, here we go. Now, now they, you're gonna feel pressure because there's so much anesthesia. So, so they start this thing out and they, and they take you and they put you in this, these like glasses that pull your eyelids open. Have you ever, you can't even do that for a couple seconds without them drying out, right? So you've got all this stuff in your eyes and they're like, and they open it up and they go, it's best not to even blink once. And you're talking about your eyesight. So you are like locked in, right? And then the thing comes over you. You're seeing, you see this, this red light start up and you feel in the pressure and they go, okay, we're going to peel it back now. Oh my word. It just goes black. And there's that moment where you're like, Lord, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And as they put it back on, you go from dark to like dim and then real blurry. And then you start to see the daylight. There, there seems to be a little bit of a trajectory. It's darkness and then it's dim. And then, and then it, it starts to like, you can kind of see out of it again. You can tell your vision's back, but you can't really see well. But now you can notice daylight. There's a process to it. And they begin to ask you, do you see anything? Do you see anything? Today, I want to make our message titled it, do you see anything? Because I want to look at life through the lens, not just of physical eyesight, which we're going to see restored today, but spiritual eyesight, which I believe that this passage is also referring to. 
For you will see in your own life, yes, there are people who can physically not see or who are losing their sight or need lenses or some sort of aid for them to see. But that's also true of us spiritually. We need sometimes biblical lenses to look at things, especially disabilities, to survive them. And I don't know where you're at and how you come in here today. But we all go through seasons of life where we have trouble seeing what we're going through clearly. And because we're not seeing clearly, we're responding poorly. I'll say it again. Because we're not seeing clearly, we're responding poorly. And as children of God, maybe we need to get into the surgeon's room and let him do some eye surgery to help us see what we're currently going through more clearly. If you're here today and you know someone who specifically is going through some sort of disability, I pray this message is an encouragement not only to you but to them. But if you know someone today that looks at the way you live your life, that looks at the things of God and just can't see what you see, I pray it speaks to their heart today too. Would you join me as we look into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. We're going to have a word of prayer. and We're going to get back into our series. When? Immediately. Immediately. Heavenly Father, use your word today to inspire us and encourage us. Lord, in a room this size, I'm sure there's a lot of stories, and some are filled with discouragement and difficulty and struggle. I'm sure there's some stories in here today that are filled with excitement of recent news. But Lord, we're asking you to be our vision today. Be thou my vision. For Lord, whatever we're facing, we might be looking at it through the lens of hopelessness and difficulty and struggle. And we don't see a future vision of any good coming out of this. We need you to be our vision. So good doctor, do your work. Do some eye surgery on us today. And so as we open up the word of God, would you remove this room of distraction, Lord, please? Lord, as we open up the word of God, would you soften our hearts to hear it? And Lord, may we leave differently here today because we took the time to sit under your sacred text. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. It's a Mark original, which means he's the only one who records this account. And it begins like this. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now, we're in a transition moment in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has been doing much of his ministry in the Galilee area near Capernaum on this side of the sea. He's traveled up into Tyre and Sidon. He's made his way back, but here we see he is voyaged over to Bethsaida on the other side of Galilee, and now we'll watch him move his ministry more towards Philip and the areas up in that top area of the map. And so Jesus is, is kind of maneuvering now towards Philip Caesarea where he was in the Galilee Capernaum area and he's specifically in Bethsaida and that is where people, friends, brought a blind man and they begged him, touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him 
out of the village. Scripture continues and it says this, and and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, now hold up a second. Jesus is doing a lot of spitting in the gospel of Mark. He's doing a lot. Now, if I walked up to you and said, hey, let me help you with something. Here, close your eyes. And I spit on you, you probably punched me. But for the Jewish culture, this meant that Jesus was maneuvering into a moment because of possible healing because saliva was looked at in that time period as to have healing agents. And so Jesus goes up to the blind man, spits on his eyes, lays his hand on him, and he asked him, what do you think he asks? What do you think he asks? Some of you cheated and went ahead. He says this, do you see anything? Do you, do you see anything? Better one, better two, right? Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. How many of you, if you took your contacts out or your glasses, you'd see people, but they look like trees walking? I don't have a clear vision. I can see people, I can make them out, but it looks like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him a second time and opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything, what does it say? Clearly, clearly. Oh, if you ever watch something out of focus and it comes into focus, it just, your eyes rest, don't they? It's as if Jesus gives him rest. Clearly, the word at its root has an idea of from a distance. So whether as he was being healed, he was myopic for a minute, and and then there was that moment. Now we see, no, no, he is seeing fully, seeing clearly, even from a distance. And he sent him home, Jesus says. Do not even enter the village. What do you see? There were some things that stood out for me. So I wrote down in my journal notes, do you see anything? The first thing I kind of see that kind of takes me by surprise and demands some further investigation, it says, then Jesus laid his hands on him again. So so Jesus comes up to the blind man and he spits in his eyes, takes his hands off. Do you see anything? And the blind man, I, I see people like trees. Now, do you think Jesus was like, ah, man, this one's tough. Okay, he saw trees. All right, man, okay, maybe it was the wrong thing. I gotta, okay, I gotta refocus. No, 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 no. This is my Jesus. This is Lazarus, come forth. And he stands and walks out. So this wasn't one of those moments where he's like, I really gotta dig in. It's not what we got going on here. So I want you, church, to think for a second. Wait a minute then. A gradual healing is intentional. What's he doing? What's he doing? You see, I want you to understand something about blindness and scripture. It's talked about a lot, not just physically, but spiritually. And when Jesus is trying to illustrate something, he'll go out of his way to do it. We have an intentional God. 
And we see an order to this. He lays his hands on them. Now, in the New Testament, they laid hands on someone to ordain them, for call them for ministry, maybe even an acute illness. But in the Old Testament, one of the reasons they laid hands on them, you know why? To consecrate something for holy usage. It's as if when hands are laid on something in the Old Testament, it's like, that is set apart, that is special, that is specific for God's usage. I want you to remember that. Because what I'm seeing here is a gradual healing. And that recalls something I talked about when I experienced. I went home from the doctor and they said in a couple days, what will happen is some of the pain will go away. You'll be able to get more vision. You'll see more clearly. And before you know it, you're gonna be seeing everything. And it was true. I could see, but it was blurry. It was dim, it was blurry, and it was almost like you were looking through like a shower window, but then it just kept clearing up. Jesus is doing something that I think we can even see illustrated in scripture. Dark to dim to daylight. For those who do not know Jesus Christ as their savior, they're blind to the things of God. Corinthians says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible is the stupidest thing you've ever heard, maybe. Maybe you're a more educated person and you appreciate the antiquity of it and you appreciate that these things actually occurred, but it can seem foolish. Did you know the scripture says, yeah, it does seem like foolishness to those who don't believe. The Bible even admits that. But to those who do believe, they see the hand of God throughout it, and they see it in their life. But you see, it's the God of this world. The enemy wants people blinded to the truth. Have you ever not said, oh my word, can you not see how true the Bible is looking at the world and the state it's in? But they can't see it. The God of this world is blinded. With dark from dim, uh, it's Paul who says, oh, we believers, we see but it's dimly compared to what we're gonna see. I mean, we see, and God has given us all the revelation we need. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness through the word of God, but still, it's dim in comparison to what it will be like on that day. Child of God, the Holy Spirit's gonna clap when I say this. One day, child of God, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, it's gonna be like, ooh, say it again. One day, you are literally gonna look Jesus right in the eye. That's not a maybe. That's not a, oh, I hope it's true. One day, one day, you're gonna look him right in the eye. And he's gonna know your name. He's gonna say, I see you. I've seen you the whole time. Oh, because now we know in part but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's almost like in the, in the process of sanctification and the growing closer to Jesus Christ, we see better and better and better the more we study his revealed word. There's an intentionality to Jesus doing this gradually. And I believe one of the intentionalities is to show that there is spiritual blindness around him and to illustrate it for his disciples. But there was a second thing. I put, did you not see? Do you see anything? 
He says, do not even enter the village. Now, now, we've seen Jesus say a lot of things to healings, right? Like, hey, don't tell anybody, and then they go tell everybody. We've seen the difference but when he was on Gentile side of the, of the sea versus the Jew, Jewish side of the sea. He would sometimes say, go ahead and tell people, don't tell people. We knew it was really to protect his ministry. If he grew too famous, it would hinder his work. But here he says, do not even enter the village. Did that stand out to anybody? What's going on here? Not only is Jesus intentional in a gradual healing, I believe he's intentional where he did it. He's in Bethsaida. Now, now if I were to say, if I were to say Hollywood, it, it says something, doesn't it? Hollywood, it says fame, maybe success, stardom, Hollywood. If I said Las Vegas, what does that say? Las Vegas carries this idea of Sin City, right? These cities are almost like, if I went like, hey, but look at that guy, that guy is Hollywood, right? You know exactly what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I mean when I say Bethsaida? Do you know how the Jews would have taken Bethsaida? I might as well have said, oh, unbelief. Unbelief. In fact, the city of Bethsaida was so known for its unbelief that in Matthew, we hear Jesus pronouncing a woe onto it. Now, if you weren't here when we did our Revelation series, you know woe isn't woe, okay? Woe is woe. Grief, judgment is coming your way. Woe to you, Jesus says, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Taking him out of the village is as if Jesus is saying, come on, let's leave this place of unbelief where I'll do the miracle. And when he heals him, don't even bother going back in there. There's an intentionality that this place is a place of unbelief. But there's a third thing I wrote down, do you see anything? The context of this passage, can you remember it? The context of this passage is Jesus asking his disciples, do you still not understand? Having eyes to see, can you not see? Having ears to hear, can you not hear? This whole section is wrapped in the context of, how come you're not seeing this? It's right in front of your eyes. You're spiritually blind to not see what I'm doing. Now, now if you will, for those of you who love a little bit more of a scholarly approach, let's step into seminary for just a second. And I want you to ask you this. Do you know how many times blind people are healed in scripture? Do you know how many healing accounts there are? Would you think like one, maybe, and they all like two, maybe, three, four? There's over seven healing accounts. And work has been done, scholarly work has been done to even put them in some sort of chronological order the best they can, harmonizing the gospels. What's interesting about Mark is he records two of them. The healing in Bethsaida and the two blind beggars near Jericho that Matthew and Luke also talk about. But what's really intriguing about these two 
clear teachings on blind people receiving sight is the location of them in the larger text that is the gospel of Mark. Gospel means what? Good news. Mark is sharing the good news about Jesus, and he wants you to know who this Jesus is. He wants you to believe. So whenever he's pressing into spiritual blindness or the unwillingness to believe, we see him leverage in transition blind men accounts. Can I give you an overarching view of the book? You have in the first section his public ministry, the new king, kingdom, order. You're seeing all these miracles that Jesus is doing. And then there's a blind man account that we're in today. Then we see Jesus cranking it up. If you're gonna follow me, you need to take up your cross. And it's a very difficult section. In fact, you can pray for me this September. That's a difficult section of scripture and passages to go through. But then there's a transition into what we'll call the next part of the series or the third part of the series where he does the blind man again. It's as if Mark is leveraging this intentionally. So we have an intentional gradual healing to illustrate spiritual blindness. We have an intentional context that's speaking towards spiritual blindness. And we have an intentional location that is a demonstration or a symbolic presence of spiritual blindness in Bethsaida. But what happens right after this account? The next, not right after I should say, but the next blind man account, you know what it is? It's the, probably the most famous one, the man that was born blind in Jerusalem. Do you remember that one? When you begin to understand that these blind man accounts also illustrate spiritual blindness, it brings so much more depth when you study them. And you start to see things that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. And specifically speaking, that in that account in John, he gives POVs. Young people, nudge your grandmother or grandpa and say, point of view, okay? So, so he gives points of view out, all right, that would enable them to see this from a different perspective. This one very specifically shows Spiritual blindness in action. Let me remind you of this one. This, this is great. This is, like a, this is like, like a snack. This story is so good, all right? I mean, this is good stuff right here. I, I love this. This is one of my favorites. You'll recall it, okay? I break it up into six scenes, okay? Look at this. First, you're gonna see it from the disciples' perspective, then the neighbors, then the Pharisees, then the parents, then the beggar himself, and then Jesus shows up in scene six, Okay, so let me remind you in case you weren't reading it this week with me, okay? The first section, scene one, let's call it scene one, all right? If you're you're into theater or into play or whatever, I want your mind to just go wild. Kids, if you're drawing, start drawing out some of these themes. themes. Here we go, here we go. As he passed by, they saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, who sinned? Who sinned? This guy's blind from birth. Somebody sinned, his parents. They believed that if you're dealing with a disability from birth, somebody sinned. That that was what they believed. And Jesus says this. It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you love that? No, no. No, no. It wasn't that someone sinned. This isn't a consequence. It's definitely a trial, but it's not a consequence. He is like this so that I can show off. What? 
Yeah, yeah, that disability that the world looks like, that disability that the world looks at is something I'm gonna use to show off. What? That is so cool. That's how the disciples, they just saw the sin. But Jesus flipped him. Here's scene two, here's scene two. The neighbors, he gets healed. Jesus goes and heals him, says, go to the pool of Shalom. Then the neighbors who had seen before the beggar, they go, is this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, yeah, it's him. And then there were others that said, no, that's not him. And then he kept saying, scripture says, I am him. And they're like, nah, yes, I am, I am him. I think it's him, I think it's him. No, it's not him, I'm him. Nah, I'm not him. They're back and forth. They said, well, then where is he? How'd your eyes open? He goes, I don't know where he is, but he anointed my eyes. And they're going back and forth. So we see the first view, looking at the blind man, judgment. The second view is like curiosity, a little doubt. Third scene, they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud on his eyes. Oh no, it was the Sabbath. You can't do anything on the Sabbath, right? And so the Pharisees said, this man can't be from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. They're fighting among themselves. The man born blind is like sitting there going, I can see and the Pharisees are all fighting. This couldn't have happened. I'm standing here. Oh, I, I can't believe this happened. They're going back and forth. And they turn to him and they go, how could he do such things? What do you say? And the blind man goes, I, I, I say he's a prophet. Each scene has this question. And it's as if John wants you to see how everyone's viewing this. And you can see the spiritual blindness of it. See, scene four, scene four. The Jews did not believe the blind man had received his sight, so they called his parents up. Mom and dad, get in here. And they got a question for him. Each scene, there's a question. How does he see? And his parents go, um, we know he's our son. We'll admit that. Um, but how he sees, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age. What? What's going on here? Scripture says they feared, they feared the Jews for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. See, there's sometimes even family members that see the change God has made in someone's life and say, hey, I don't know about all that stuff. I don't know if it's like a midlife crisis or whatever, but you know, it's good for them, whatever works for them. You see this in scripture. Scene five. So for the second time, they call the man back in. All right, the parents didn't help us. They call him back in. They go, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answers. One of the most beautiful answers in all of scripture. Do you remember what he says? Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Don't ever let common sense get in the way, amen? Amen. I don't know how it happened. I can tell you don't like that it happened. I can tell you don't understand what happened. I can tell you that you see a change in me, but it doesn't make sense to you. But here's the deal, here's the deal. I once couldn't see, and now I can see. Case closed. Not for them, nope, nope. Why, what did he do? And the blind man goes, why do you keep asking me? I told you what he did. Do you want to be his disciples too? <gasps> Pharisees, you make us sick, basically. that You were born in utter sin, and you teach us, and they kicked him out. 
this guy's having a great day. He got, he got, he got his sight back, but everyone hates him. <laughs> Parents don't want to admit it. Unbelievable, the reaction to clear change in someone's life. If you don't want to see it, don't worry. The God of this world will blind the eyes of unbelief. Nobody can find him now except Jesus. Scene six, Jesus heard they cast him out. Jesus loves when people get casted out. He goes and finds them all the time in scripture. He said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered him, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. And Jesus said, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What? Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, oh, are we blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we can see, your guilt remains. Jesus is making a clear connection with the healing of physical blindness with spiritual blindness. These Pharisees walking around going, we can see, you're a sinner. He says, it shows that you're actually still blind. If you come to me in dependence and say, I can't see Jesus. My vision is, is broke. It's not even dim. It's definitely not clear. All I see is darkness. Jesus, be thou my vision. I can't see. And it's leading me to hopelessness. That's where this man was before Jesus came along. And what echoed through my mind and what I made sure to write down was Jesus gave the reason why this man was born. So that the works of God might be displayed. That's why he was born with his disability, so Jesus could show off in him, and the disciples couldn't see it with their eyes of judgment. The neighbors couldn't see it in their eyes of doubt. The Pharisees couldn't see it in their eyes of unbelief. The parents couldn't see it in their eyes of fear. The beggar in his conviction, he couldn't even convince them, and Jesus, looking for belief, saw it when the beggar said, I believe. I bring this up because I believe there is an epidemic going on, especially in our young people, of poor eyesight. For just in this past year and a half, and this comes from someone who worked in youth ministry for over a decade, but just in this past year and a half, I can't tell you how many times I've heard either parents or teens say to me, I don't even know why I was born. I don't really want to live anymore. Especially some who struggle with some disabilities. They look at people around them and they don't process things as quickly. They don't fit into the world's categories as easily. And they see the struggle they have, they see the struggle they are on their parents. They see the struggle of the family. And whether it be a physical disability 
or a mental disability, which is even sometimes more difficult because it's not always seen. There's a struggle there. And the enemy seeks to come in and says, I'll be your vision. And it's real cloudy and it's dark. And all of a sudden thoughts like, I don't want to be alive anymore. If I were gone, who would even care? You say, oh, Chris, you're going there. I'm going there because I got a shepherd's heart in me that is aching right now for our young people as well as anybody out there who thinks that Jesus couldn't love them or that because of comparison or because of what they see on social media or because they can't keep up or mentally think that God doesn't want to use them where they're at. And maybe instead of looking at the disability as the worst thing that could have ever happened to them, maybe you begin to see it the way Jesus sees it. Maybe you'll be one of the ones where Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you see that disability? I'm gonna show off in them. Maybe you're here today and you've asked yourself, why was I born? Maybe you've walked in here, you're listening online and you're currently in a struggle for the desire to look forward into life. You don't have a big picture vision. You're struggling with why even today. When I hear the phrase born so that the works of God might be displayed in them, I can think of a man with a disability that is one of the more inspiring people in my life. His name is Nick Vujovic. Have you ever heard of him? He was born without arms and without legs. I often listen to him speaking. They pick him up and put him on a table. And when I listen to him speak, the common refrain that goes through my head is, I'm not having a bad day when I watch his life. And he goes back and forth and he shares of, about Jesus Christ. And who am I to speak into disabilities? But I thought he would do a good job of it. And do you know what he says is the greatest disability of all? Not life in a wheelchair. He says it's actually fear. And there is an epidemic of fear in our society. And he's saying fear is the greatest disability of all. It will paralyze you more than life in a wheelchair. If I say that, that makes, there is no power. But when you hear him say that, you go, I'm listening. I'm listening because I can't even imagine how tough his life is at times. He's going on to author many books, including one of the best books you can read on surviving bullying. And he gives out two acronyms. And you know me, I love acronyms. One is fear and one's faith. He gives out these acronyms in his book, Life Without Limbs. The first one is fear, false Evidence appearing real. Fear. False evidence appearing real. When you look at that picture of that little boy laying on a skateboard without arms and legs, and when you hear his testimony that when he was delivered, his dad ran out into the hallway of the hospital and threw up, and it took mom a little while before she could hold him. She needed time to think. For they knew the life that was 
most likely in store for him. All evidence points to there's no reason to be born. How could you be born like that? Why? He writes, it's a lie to think you're not worth anything. The greater the struggle, the more glorious the triumph. If you've heard Nick's testimony, he shares that at the age of 10, he tried to take his life. The pressures of the world and everything around him were mounting. He had grown into hopelessness. He couldn't see clearly. Fear. False evidence saying you're not worth anything. False evidence saying look at you. People stop and stare. False evidence appearing real. And then there's another acronym he gives out and that's faith. Faith is the full assurance in the heart. Nick says, I have a choice to be angry at God for what I don't have or thankful to God for what I do. Trade the life of self-pity that I was living for a life of purpose. I don't know if I would try swimming, but he did. Faith, he calls it full assurance in the heart. Nick gave his life to Christ. He gave his life to ministry. And now he tours and shares the faith that God gave him to maneuver through some of his most difficult, dark days. And that faith has not made life easier, but it's enabled him to continue to move forward. He's born that the works of God might be displayed in him. And, and one of Nick's fears, if you heard him speak, and I have been following him for years, if you heard him speak before, one of his fears was he would never know what it felt like to hug somebody. He wanted to hug somebody. And he said, I definitely probably never will be hugged because no girl could ever love me in the way I loved. But if you know Nick's story, not only did he get married, he's got kids. And God has used it in a huge way in his life so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he says to anyone in here that's looking at their life circumstances saying, I don't know even why I was born. I encourage you to accept that you may not be able to see a path right now, but that does not mean it's not there. Born so that the works of God might be displayed. If you know someone struggling with a disability, Renew Bible is praying for you. If it's in part of your family, Renew Bible prays for you. If you're going through it yourself, and you're either watching online or sitting in the auditorium, we're praying for you. Being able to have spiritual vision does not make the struggle any easier. But may I offer three ways to navigate disability? Leveraging illustrations from those who couldn't see. The first one, if you're gonna navigate this disability, it's gonna take dependence. The enemy wants you to be independent and that way he can isolate you. Ask for no one's help. No one understands. Nobody could possibly help you. Don't take the bait. His name was Thomas Stewart. In the 1800s, he accidentally stabbed himself in the eye. 
fearing that the damage would lead to other damage in the other eye, the doctor suggested he remove his eye so that his other eye would take over more effectively. Now, modern medicine has advanced far beyond what was in the 1800s, but now you go in, and if there's a surgery, sometimes they'll mark the spot of the surgery, or they'll ask you multiple times where you're getting the surgery. Why do they do stuff like that? Well, Thomas went in for surgery, and the doctor removed the wrong eye. He was left blind. And in the middle of college and not wanting to stop, it was his brother William who read him every text, who went to college with him, and they both graduated with degrees. Their dependence and determination to depend is what leveraged them through the darkness they were seeing. If you're out there today and you're saying things like, I don't wish, I wish I was never born, dependence is a pathway out. You need to ask somebody for help. The enemy says hide it. The enemy says keep it in isolation. He wants you on your own. But a brother, sister in Christ, or a key individual in your life is actually one of your pathways to seeing clearly in the darkness that you can see right now. Born so that the works of God might be revealed. A young French girl, she was born blind. They showed her braille for the first time and she couldn't get enough of it. More specifically, she had a Bible and what caught my attention and why I love this story was she had the Gospel of Mark in braille and she read it. She'd pass her fingers along it and she would read it. She read it so vigorously that she developed calluses on her hand so she couldn't read it anymore. She moved to the other hand. That hand developed calluses. In a slight panic, she began to peel the skin off of her fingers, but that hurt nerve endings and it took away some of her ability to feel. She knew it'd be a while till she healed from that and crying she brought the Bible up to her face and dropped her head into it. And it was there she realized her lips were more sensitive than her fingers. Imagine the scene of a young girl reading scripture, the gospel of Mark. It's just hard for me to read the Bible, you might say. Reading it like this. Wow. If you're gonna survive a disability, it's gonna take gratitude. It's so easy for us to focus on what we don't have, but that's the comparison trap. Even parents raising disabilities, it's hard sometimes to see that other children or other people are not facing the same challenges of your loved one. But being thankful for what you do have instead of what you don't, helps you see more clearly in that darkness. And gratitude is a pathway out. Gratitude is a pathway to hope. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Why? For this is God's will for you. How could this be God's will for me? This is God's will for you. Born so that the works of God might be displayed 
the third visual, the third sight, be thou my vision, is trust. Dependence navigates disability. Gratitude can navigate disability, but trust can also navigate disability. Trust that there is hope ahead, even when all you see is darkness. A house caught on fire. The father was able to get out some of the younger children. He's on the lower level and he realizes his son is still upstairs. His son can hear him though and he yells, get to the roof. And so the son finds a way, scrambles, gets up to the roof. But on top of the roof, he can't see anything. Darkness is all around him. The smoke clouds are covering him. And it's borderline black, if you will, let alone the heat of the fire on him. The father yelled, do you see anything? And the boy said, I can't, I can't see anything. I need you to jump. Do you see me? I can't see you, dad. I can't see you. I can't see any, see, see the enemy when we're going through struggle. Oh, he, the smoke clouds, the darkness is all around us. And we hear loved ones crying out, but we can't even walk to it sometimes because we just see the clouds. We just see, see what's in front of us. We just see false evidence appearing real. And we stay trapped up there and the fire is there to consume us. Don't take the bait. Oh, oh, don't be so close to jumping. And not because of a lack of trust. Trust the Father. Spiritually speaking, trust Jesus. The word of God can lead you to a place of hope even when the smoke clouds surround you, young person. Even when the smoke clouds surround you, businessman. Even when the smoke clouds surround you, ma. Even when the smoke clouds surround you, senior saint. Even when the smoke clouds listen to the voice of Jesus. Because the enemy, he wants to burn you up in defeat and discouragement. He came to seek, kill, and what? Destroy. Don't take the bait. Go towards the voice of truth. Dad yelled, jump, but he wouldn't jump. Do you see me? I can't see that. He said, just jump. And the dad said something that got the boy to jump. Nothing else worked, but he said something and it got the boy to jump. Can you see me? I can't see you, dad. I can see you. And the boy jumped and dad caught him. Now imagine, imagine the boy being interviewed. You were surrounded by darkness, clouds, you were gonna die. I mean, and you couldn't see anything, right? Yeah, but I was so grateful I could hear my dad's voice. You couldn't, you couldn't see anything. Yeah, but I just depended on my dad. I just kept listening to my dad through the smoke clouds, through the times I couldn't see, through the times I thought I'm, I'm probably gonna die. I kept listening to my dad. And then you jumped, why? Because the whole time, the whole time, he saw it all. He saw it all.
wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, you have a heavenly father. His name is El Roy. El Roy means God sees me. And he sees you. And see, it's the enemy's tool to use disabilities and discouragements to say, why were you even born? And Jesus smiles at that and says, so that I could show off, so that the works of God could be displayed. And maybe, maybe you're not gonna be a crippled man that can walk again, but he's gonna give you his vision. Maybe, maybe you're not gonna be blind and then can see, but he's gonna show you a pathway to depend, a pathway to be full of gratitude and a pathway to trust him that there's hope at the end of this story. And we can't listen to the enemy and take his bait of this discouragement. So if you know someone in your life, tell them you can trust them. It's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me, ask that blind man in scripture. He saw it all, amen? Heavenly Father, Our heart today as a church was to encourage those folks out there who are dealing with disabilities, whether it be physical or mental. But the truth is we all have disabilities, all of us. And at times, Lord, life can feel so dark we need to ask for your help. We need to listen to your voice and not those voices in our head that are saying, why are you even here? You're not worth anything. May we not let the devil win, but instead in that darkness, may we look around for the things we do have instead of only looking at the things we don't and be grateful for them. And in that gratitude, may we trust that whatever disability our loved one or that we or that someone we know is struggling with, oh, it was not there to kill him. In this world, we live with the effects of sin and a cursed world, but one day we'll be changed. And we have a hope set before us we have that hope because Jesus came and died on the cross that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life there will be a day there will be a day for every child of God who calls upon Jesus where they will be in glory and they will hear their name and they'll look up and they will see Jesus face to face, clearly. And we will see that even the struggles of this world, oh, the world said, what did they do? How come? Why them? But you said, so I could show off in their life. 
Lord, I pray that your word is an encouragement to someone going through a difficult disability this morning. Amen.